Welcome to Messages for the Hour, a Harkin Network podcast featuring a series of timely messages for the body of Christ. We start out this new year with Todd White, a drug addict and atheist for 22 years, when in 2004 he was radically set free by Jesus. Todd's foremost desire is to see the Holy Spirit flowing through believers everywhere that they go, at work, school, grocery stores, malls, gas stations, and more. His heart is to activate people in the simplicity of who they really are and confront the barriers that hold them back from being who God created them to be. In his message, Todd brings a powerful, sobering reminder about living a life in view of the judgment seat of Christ. Christians should be the most accountable people on the earth, knowing that everything we do is seen by the Lord. Todd's message is a call to live as we're called to, sons and daughters of a holy God, creator of the universe. Being wholehearted in intimacy with the Lord and seeking to reconcile people unto this same purpose. Here is Todd White. If you want to label this message and label it, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. I just want to share a couple things with you. Are you getting anything out of this? Just see for me, when I, no matter where I'm at, I don't care if it's a home group, it doesn't matter. When I'm up here, I'm being trusted with a pulpit. Regardless, if I'm in a house, someone invites me, I'm in a house group, I'm, I'm invited with a pulpit, and I am responsible for every ear. The Bible says to he who is given much, much is required. That means that when you come to a conference to learn more, the person that's preaching actually has a job to make you more accountable than the time you walked in. And then when you stand before God, you're way more accountable than you were before. My job is to make you very accountable for the life that you say you have. Revelation 6. How beautiful is this? Watch. I'm going to set the stage again for you. How many how many people remember John? The Gospel of John. John. Talking about John. You with me? This is this is John Jesus. Hey Jesus. It's John. This is John. Are you with me? Follow me here. This is John, the one disciple. John, he's known as John the Beloved. He's known as John, the one that Jesus loves. He's the disciple that knows that he's the one that Jesus loves. Now, all of them were loved by Jesus, but John knew it. What would it be like to be a disciple and not know that you're loved by him? That would be crazy. So this is that John. Like, he's amazing. Like, John. Now, John, the beloved, was boiled alive. And he didn't die. So, have you ever burned your finger? 
Have you ever got oil spitting out of a pan? Maybe eating bacon. <laughs> I, I'm, I, I eat keto. Keto. So bacon is like my favorite. So people are like, oh, you shouldn't eat pork. Uh, came down in the sheet, I'm eating it. <laughs> Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Sorry. I just came back from Israel. I was like, oh no. I asked the guide, I go, do you guys have bacon? She goes, I went, I'm sorry. I didn't know. I missed it. Okay, let me get here. So John, how did I get to bacon and boiled in oil? That's not good, is it? Now watch. You burn your finger in oil, it's pretty severe. They boiled him alive. Watch. I, I, I don't care who you are. I can't imagine burning my whole hand in oil. Some people have it. Accidents have happened. I understand. John didn't just have his hand. He had his whole body submerged. They boiled him in oil and tried to kill him, and he didn't die. So then they put this John on this island that was for demonized criminals, hardened criminals, fugitive, banished forever. They put him on Patmos. And this is John. John, the one that hung with Jesus, the one that was like, hey, Jesus, you and me. He's there. This is John. Now, I want you to picture this because, see, Jesus, when he was on the earth, he was silent, and he was a merciful lamb. And when he was on the earth, he was Jesus. He was full of mercy, grace, and truth. But this Jesus that John sees in the book of Revelation is a completely different Jesus. But it's the same Jesus. It's the one that a lot of us don't think about. But I'm just going to paint a picture of what John saw. Because it says that John saw Jesus. He didn't see him as a feminine-looking Jesus. He didn't see him as a, a brown-haired Jesus that had a beard and and put your hand into here. He didn't see that Jesus. He saw Jesus with eyes of fire, with hair as white as wool, with feet as burnished bronze, with a sword coming out of his mouth, with seven stars in his hand. This is a different Jesus, man. It's the same one, but it's the one that all of us are going to face. <laughs> this is a big deal. Look, there are people that think that they're all that and think that they have it made. Finances, everything. You think that because of your business, because of what you have, you think that that's okay. I talked to a young man in the gym today. Um, his name was Patrick. He's an amazing young man. I saw a tattoo on his arm. It was the tattoo that, that ISIS put on houses over there, and then they they kicked the uh, Christians out. They didn't denounce and then executed. Anyway, he had it on his arm and I knew what it was, but I wanted to ask him what it meant to him. So I asked him and he told me about the tattoo. And then he told me about, you know, Jesus and he says he's a pretty good guy and he's good. He's got good morals. And I asked him, I said, man, it's awesome that you're, that you're a good person. I said, I'm going to ask you this. I said, if I had a diamond and I were to give you a jeweler's magnifying glass and I were to have you look at that diamond what would you see when you looked at it? He said, a diamond. I said, absolutely. I said, let me ask you this. I said, if I were to have a jeweler here and they were to look at that diamond, would they see things different than you? Well, yeah. They would see flaws that you don't see because they're trained to look at diamonds. 
I said, and see, what you're saying is you're good and you can stand before God and there's no flaws. You're wrong. I wasn't being mean. I was being honest. And all of us have our own revelation of what good is and we're good people and we're good morally and and I'm okay and, and God's good and He'll accept me the way I am. No, no, no. See, people get saved and God does accept you the way you are, but any grace that doesn't lead to transformation is demonic in nature. Grace has to lead to transformation. So God will take you as you are, but God demands change. The gospel demands change. But there are still people that say, well, I'm good enough. I mean, when I stand before God, everything's going to be okay. This is different. Watch. These are people that thought it would be okay. I looked and he broke the sixth seal in, in verse 12. And there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth made of hair. And the whole moon was like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree cast its unripe figs when shaken by a great wind. The sky was split apart like a scroll, and it was rolled up. And every mountain and every island were moved out of their places. What would it be for a mountain, you see them in the ranges here, to move out of place? What would that be like? It would be way more than just an earthquake. What would it be like for an island to move out of its place? See, this isn't a fear thing. If your heart's right, if your heart's wrong, it's a very afraid time. So afraid. The kings of the earth and the great men and the commanders and the rich and the strong and every slave and free man hid themselves in the caves among the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains, fall on us and hide us from the presence. The presence of him who sits on the throne for the wrath from the wrath of the lamb for the great day of the wrath has come and who is able to stand? These are people that thought that they were okay. But one day every knee will bow. You can bow willingly or be forced to bow. Listen, it says that in that day, people will seek death and will not be able to find it. People will jump off of buildings trying to commit suicide, hit the ground and live, and still have to face the wrath of the Lamb. It says that the dead in the sea will be brought up. It says that the dead everywhere, Hitler and everybody that he killed and murdered, six million plus Jews is going to answer for their life. It's true. People are like, what is going on? The gospel. That's what's going on. It's the gospel. It's the good news. It really is good. The book of Revelation is still good news. It's good news. The white throne judgment is for non-believers. And when they face the wrath of the Lamb at that throne, they'll be cast into eternal separation from God. They were separated from God when they're here, but they thought they were okay. But they will know that they're not okay when they face the Lamb. There'll be no question of whether they're not okay or not. And you know what the problem that I have is that there are Christians that don't understand who they are, that are silent in their faith, that have neighbors that are going to hell, that are afraid to share their faith. And on that day, those people, I believe, at that throne, neighbors and people that you knew all of your life are going to look at you and say, why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you say anything? 
Why didn't you walk like Jesus said you could? Why? People are like, well, I don't have a memory of that. I, don't, I just don't think... I don't think that's gonna happen. You're deceived, you're wrong. There was a man named Lazarus and there was a rich man. And they both died. The man that was begging bread at the table of the rich man, his name was Lazarus. The dog would come and lick his sores. And this man died having nothing. And he went to Abraham's bosom. But the rich man went to a place called Hades. It was a place of torment. It was a place where there's no quench for your thirst. See, hell is real, and one day you die in your lust. One day you'll have lust, but you'll have nothing to quench it. You'll have nothing to satisfy it. It's eternity, and there's no way out. And the rich man said, tell my brothers, go and tell them. I don't want them to come here. Jesus said, remember, See, people think, well, I don't, I don't remember. You're wrong. You're going to remember. Your memory will never go away. Your soul is forever. Well, I don't remember. I don't. And we push it away, push it under a rug. Everything, everything is taken and exposed before God. He sees it all. And he still loves you. He's not mad at you. This is not God's mad at you sermon. This is preaching the gospel. The good news. This is good news. If you're an unbeliever, this here is for you. You don't have to go through that. There's mercy. We're in a day of mercy right now. This isn't a scare tactic. This is reality, dude. Like, this is not scare. This isn't a scare. Well, he's just trying to scare us. This is not a get out of hell free card. It's not. It's stop living in hell on this earth right now, too. I'm so glad you're playing light music behind this, bro. You're the best. Can I get the whole worship team out here? Please help me. Please. Jeremy? Wendy? I'm almost done. Are you okay? I'm almost done. I got I to gotta pull out of this place here. Oh. Gospel is so good. Mm. I'm just going to read 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 1. You guys with me? Just listen. For we know if this earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For indeed, in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven. Inasmuch as we, having put it on, will not be found naked. For indeed, while we're in this tent, we groan, being burdened, because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be further clothed, so that this, what is mortal, can be swallowed up by life. Now he who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave us the Spirit as a pledge. Therefore, being always of good courage, are you listening? Knowing that while 
while we are at home in this body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight. We're of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Therefore, we always have, always, always have, we also have this as our ambition. Ambition means our, our thing that we press in for. Check this out. This is amazing. This is right before your behold, if anybody be in Christ, he's a new creation. It's in the same chapter. Whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. This is amazing. Listen, it says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And we know that Jesus paid a price to give us his presence now so that we can be with him here but and to live is Christ and then we die it's great gain because we'll be with him the problem is is that if your life isn't straight here and you're not living in a way that's pleasing here when you stand before him there you're not pleasing there the bride has made herself ready this isn't a scare tactic. This is just a reality check. This is the truth. It says we have as our ambition to be pleasing to him here and to be pleasing to him there. The way to be pleasing to him there is to treat this life as if it's a dressing room for eternity. I, I, I promise. And this only happens through through real surrender. Full, not part. Look, Jesus didn't pay a price for, for part of you. He paid a price for all of you. Sin will cost you more than you wanted to pay and take you way further than you wanted to go. But one day, you'll stand before him. Therefore, we always have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. For we must all, look at this, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So that each one can be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest to God. And I hope that we're made manifest also to your consciences. We are not again commending ourselves to you, but are giving you an occasion to be proud of us so that you will have an answer for those who take pride in appearance and not in heart. For if we're beside ourselves, it's for God, but if we're of sound mind, it's for you. For the love of Christ controls us, compels us, dominates us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And if he died for all, those that live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. See, the truth is, is that your love for Jesus is displayed in the life that you're living now. And if your life that you're living now doesn't display your love for Jesus, something is wrong with your intimacy. Your intimacy might just be prostitution to where you're going there to get something and then instead of going there to know him. Professional intimacy is prostitution. 
I can't stress this enough. It's so important. I'm not trying to push you away from the secret place. I'm just trying to take out the stumbling blocks that are keeping you from knowing him. I'm going to tell you a story and then we're going to pray. See, one day when I stand before God in that judgment seat, when I stand before Jesus, Paul said this, my conscience doesn't condemn me of anything, of everything I believe in my heart, I'm clean here and clean here. But God's the judge, he knows better than what I know. But I wanna live a life that to the fullest of the extent of my heart and my mind, my soul, I wanna know that I'm living and walking upright before him all the days of my life. And I want to live with that personal conviction. And if anything is out of whack, I want him to trim that branch because I need to bear fruit. Because people are watching my life wondering if I'm a real Christian. And the life that you're living bears witness of the one that you love. You are a witness of God. There's a story of a man who had who had a house. You hold this way. And he had, the man had a house that had 10 rooms. He's a very wealthy man. He had a big house and, <clears throat> and he lived alone. And one night he's at home. And all of a sudden he hears this on his door. And he goes to the door to answer the door and, and, he, and he peeps through the hole. He doesn't recognize who it is, but he opens the door just to crack. And all of a sudden, the devil puts a toe in and it's the enemy and now he knows who it is but he opened the door and all of a sudden the devil gets a toe in a knee in an elbow in and he's wrestling with the man around the house now he didn't know it was the devil or he wouldn't have opened the door but he did and now he's in there so the devil is wrestling him around the house his furniture upturned he is pictures are falling off the wall and the man wrestles with the devil all night long the sun comes up and the devil slips out and leaves the door open the man is beat up on the floor wondering what just happened to him. So the man turns his furniture back over and he goes and he shuts the door and goes and sits down. He cleans himself up wondering, what just happened to me? And all of a sudden he hears another knock at the door. Not like the one he heard before. He looks out the peephole and it's not the devil and he opens the door. Lo and behold, it's Jesus. He says, come on in. I've heard about you. I heard that you're mighty to save. I heard that you bring peace and I need peace. Last night was awful. It was terrible. And he invited Jesus in. He said, you know what I'm going to do, Lord? I, I, I want you to stay with me. And Jesus said, okay. And the man said, I'm going to give you my master bedroom. It's, it's amazing. It has the best view of the house. You view the lake out back. It has a huge master bathroom, huge master bedroom. It's the best room in my house. It's all yours. Jesus says, thank you very much. He goes upstairs, shuts the door. Just a little while later, it's starting to get dark out. All of a sudden, the man hears this. He knows that knock he heard it the night before but Jesus is in the house so he goes and he's a little more bold to open the door but when he opens it the devil busts into the house pulls him over smacks him around tears his furniture up tears the pictures off the wall already have broken glass in the pictures the man gets beat up and he's wounded laying on the floor sun's coming up the devil sneaks out and leaves and all of a sudden Jesus comes down the stairs 
The man's on the floor. He was, didn't you hear what was happening last night? The devil was back and he beat me again. And look at my house. You're in my house. Why would you let him do that? He said, sir, I was in the bedroom that you gave me. The man says, oh, you know, I get it. You know what I'm going to do, Jesus? I'm going to give you all five rooms upstairs. All five rooms are yours. The whole upstairs is yours. Just the downstairs is mine. The upstairs is better anyway. It's all yours, Lord. And they talk for a little while, and Jesus walks upstairs, and then there's that terrible knock again. Didn't sound the same on concrete. <laughs> terrible knock. The man knows, but Jesus has half the house, so... The man is way more secure. He lets the devil in and the devil beats him again and thrashes him around the house. And all of a sudden the man, the sun's coming up, the devil, filthy temptations and the twisted of twisted stuff upon him again. And he gets out, the devil leaves and all of a sudden Jesus comes downstairs again. Good morning, sir. Good morning? You've got to be kidding me. He's bruised and beaten messed up Jesus is like okay and the man is freaking out don't you care don't you care look at what happened to me the devil did it again Jesus is like sir I've been upstairs the man says to Jesus he goes oh what am I going to do I got it you know what I'm going to do I'm going to give you nine rooms I'm going to give you, I am, I'm going to give you nine rooms because there's one room, it's dirty and it has some things in it that you wouldn't like and just some, it's just some stuff that, well, anyway, I'm going to take one room, I'm just going to keep one room, but you can have the whole house, I'm just going to keep one room, okay? Jesus says, thank you very much. He walks back to where he belongs, where he, one of the rooms, just goes and hangs out, all of a sudden the man hears the same knock. The man knows that it's the devil, but he's a little shaky, but he feels very confident because Jesus has almost the whole house. And he opens the door and the devil beats him unmercifully again. They wrestle until morning again. Jesus comes out of the room and the man is beside himself. I cannot believe that you allowed this to happen to me again. What do you want from me? I gave you nine rooms. What do you want? What do you want from me? Jesus says, sir. He says, you're still the owner of the house. He said, why don't you give me the keys? I can own the house and you can live here. The man is so beat up and so hurting that he hands Jesus the keys. He goes, I don't care. You can have it. Thank you very much. All of a sudden, there's a knock on the door again. The man goes to answer the door. He's trembling. No, not again. He goes to grab the door handle. All of a sudden, he has a tap on his shoulder. Jesus says, sir, this is my house. The man steps back, petrified. 
Jesus doesn't peek out the door. He doesn't go. He opens the door. The devil looks at Jesus. He looks at the number on the house. He looks at Jesus. He looks at the number on the house. He one more time. He backs away and he says, Sir, I, I must have the wrong house. To believe means to be fully convinced. And the example that it uses is a house with no empty rooms. There's a lot of people here that you're trying to hold on to one room. And the devil is hurting you. And one day, you're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And you're going to answer for your life. And I'm giving you right now the opportunity to repent. And if that's you, I want you up here right now. And I need you to run. Let's just, let's just go on our knees because it's going to get really crazy. Thank you. 